Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. 850,000 jobs versus the 706,000 estimate. This is a good thing. But the unemployment rate stayed at 5.9% instead of going down to the projected 5.6%. You still have people who are having a remarkably difficult time hiring. But in the states that have taken away the enhanced unemployment benefits, you still haven't seen massive growth. Some states, like I think it's Missouri, hasn't really seen any move in the hiring. Meanwhile, the White House wants to talk about how prices are coming down on ground beef and on on cheese. Why your barbecue this 4th of July is 16 cents cheaper than it was just a year ago. Well, what does that matter when you're paying an extra dollar a gallon to get to your friend's house to enjoy the 4th anyway? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, Parlor, Instagram, Twitter, at Tony Katz. Dr. Matt Will enjoins, he joins us right now. He is an economist, associate professor at the University of Indianapolis, mattwill.com, W-I-L-L, actually on vacation in the Badlands, heading his way to Mount Rushmore soon. But we take a look at these numbers and in, in these specific spots. Let's start with this 850,000 jobs. You had two massive, awful months uh, over the last two months. This is at least a step in the right direction, or is there another way to look at it? You know, Tony, this is exactly what we predicted would happen, you and I, but not what most of the economists would have predicted. Because when right now there are 26 states that are trying to reduce their benefits. 22 have succeeded as of July 1. We've seen significant increase in people looking for jobs in those states. And there's been this pent-up demand. Tony, this number would be over a million. It'd be, you know, two million if, if people were actually able to get out and work. And with these enhanced benefits being eliminated, we are seeing people looking for jobs now. And it's in the 22 states. You know, the, the federal government should call up every one of those governors and say, thank you. Thank you for eliminating these enhanced benefits because now people are forced to go get a job. And guess what, Tony? Eight hundred fifty thousand—they're doing it. Now I gotta let me let me go back over something because what I said was, and this is where I have seen the data, that when you look at the states that have removed the enhanced benefits, even though I favor it, I favor removing the enhanced benefits because it's a bad idea. Regardless, what you are not seeing is a massive jump. Now maybe if you take little numbers overall, they add up to 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 larger numbers. Maybe that much is, is true. But in the state of Missouri, you have seen no real increase as was reported in those job applicants. So is this a little bit from everywhere equaling a bigger number or are we no. now seeing after a month or so of removing that extended unemployment benefit, we're seeing people say, "Okay, I do have to go get a job now." You know, no, actually, Tony, it's, it's a little more complicated than that. You are seeing the, the increase. Um, in fact, the Missouri was focused on the Wall Street Journal. They did a report on Missouri a few days ago, and they focused on this specifically. We have Missouri, their unemployment rate's now 4.2. It's ticking up like the national economy is because more people are looking for jobs. They're, they're being forced into the economy. So that's why the unemployment rate's going up, because there's more people in the job market. That's a good thing. The process of hiring them has also picked up, but it hasn't picked up as fast. It's just a little bit of a lag. That's all that's happening. More people are being hired, like you've seen in the report today, than we anticipated. That's a good thing. 
but more people are in the workforce more than we even thought was going to happen. So this elimination of the enhanced benefits is doing exactly what we thought. People flooding into the job market, the process of hiring them is just a little bit of a lag, but even there we see more hiring than we have seen the last two months and more than was forecasted. It's working exactly as planned. Just patience a week or two and things are going to be looking even better. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis. As we're seeing the jobs increase, what I thought was fascinating was CNBC's reporting here was that the unemployment rate they expected to go to 5.6%. It's still at 5.9%. So the, the, the mind has a problem doing the math that you could be 144,000 jobs over the estimate. The estimate was 706,000. We got 850,000. So this is well over uh, the, the estimate. But yet the unemployment number didn't go to the 5.6% as predicted. It stayed at 5.9%. Explain to me how the two numbers jive. Exactly, Tony. That's what, that, that's what I tried to explain, and I did a very poor job at it. It's, it's two numbers. There's a numerator and a denominator. There's the top and the bottom in division. And the number of people seeking employment has gone up. So that's what's happened. Both numbers have gone up, but the number of people seeking employment has gone up even more. That's why you have an increase in unemployment. So you have more people in, in looking for jobs. Would we call that the labor force participation rate? Yes. The participation rate is, is going up. Um, the number of people seeking jobs is going up. And you can attribute it directly to those 22 states that have successfully eliminated enhanced benefits. And the four who are on the, in the waiting list, Indiana being one of them because of the court ruling, when they get their job in order, you're going to see that number go up again. So now let's apply what we're seeing here to what we're all seeing at, for example, the supermarket. The White House wants to tell us that prices are going down, but the reporting tells us that pricing is going up. An inflationary push, never mind uh, uh, product uh, chains in, in terms of distribution chains, in terms of the logistics and things like that, that have been a problem. We keep hearing about this inflationary pressure. We're taking a look at, at 30-year fixed mortgage rates. They're now at 2.77%, uh, percent, going up from 2.75, and that's certainly up from where things were just a little while ago. How much pressure is inflation placing on this economy, and where do you see this going? You know, Tony, I am very disappointed in the administration's spinning of the inflation numbers. There's a lot that is in an inflation report. You can dissect it and cherry pick it to make it look good. And that's exactly what they're doing. You know, it is true that you see a meat price drop. Well, guess what? During July 4th, the production process increases. There's a flood of supply of beef. Everyone's going to be barbecuing. And all they're noticing is an increase in supply. That does not mean inflation is under control. It simply means that people have produced a whole bunch of stuff because we're all going to be barbecuing the next few days. That is not a decrease in inflation. If you look at core inflation, if you look at the total numbers, uh, fuel prices, wage prices, everything has been going up recently. Let's wait for the CPI report rather than let the, the administration cherry pick a few pieces of it. Well, that is what they're doing, and that's why they put out this this infographic, and they bragged about prices being down 16 cents. Yet the gallon of gas is clearly, across the country on average, a dollar a gallon more expensive. And I equated this to if you have if you have to fill up your tank every week, and it's a 20-gallon tank, and you're spending an extra $20, that is your cigar budget, 
And now the local cigar lounge isn't getting $80 a month from you that you were able to spend as you see fit times X number of customers. And that's the real world effect of this gasoline tax. This is the thing that I think isn't being accounted for in when we see a level of price increases all across the country. You know, so Tony, your 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 cigar budget is up. My milk budget is up. Either way, we're spending more money. Let's just look at the CPI. Let's not try to cherry pick numbers. I think everyone knows that when they go to the store, they're paying more for everything. That's the reality of the situation. And this government spending trillions upon trillions of dollars, the loose money policy of the Fed, all these things are contributing to giving us all a pay cut. Because Tony, inflation is a pay cut. Plain and simple, and everyone's feeling it. Talking to Dr. Matt Will from the University of Indianapolis, M A T T W I L L, mattwill.com. Uh, right now, you have construction, you have good weather, uh, these kinds of things build. As we take a look towards winter months, are we looking at a, a a continued growth as shut to, as the 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 lockdown era is over, or are there other trouble signs for you on the horizon? Well, you know what I see both good and bad, Tony. We're going to see growth because remember the enhanced benefits are gone for everybody in September. It is true that some of the Democrats and the president are looking to maybe extend it even more. They want to cre- they they may call it something different. But as of right now, those things expire in September, so more people will be required to go out and work. That's a good thing. Pent-up demand. Remember, President Biden inherited an incredible economy sans the COVID situation. That's going to come back as well. Now, that's the good news. The bad news is trillions of dollars of spending. If he succeeds in getting not just the infrastructure, but if he gets the social part of it, you know, they're calling it infrastructure. The reality is it's not infrastructure. If those things pass, that's going to be a headwind against this growth. So I guess we're sitting on the sidelines, Tony, waiting to see which one wins, the fantastic economy that he inherited or this massive government expansion that is trying to be put in place. Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis. Uh, uh, How's Mount Rushmore looking? I saw there last night. It was beautiful. Today, the Badlands. Pray for me. I think it's going to be 95 degrees today. Well, I, I, I think there are people in Arizona and Florida who would like to laugh out loud <laughs> directly at you. Oh, poor you and your 95 degrees. It's a very rough life. May, may I suggest cool beverages? That's the best. That's the best I can do. Dr. Matt Will, always a pleasure. Lots to get to. I'm Tony Katz. So there is now a January 6th commission, and Liz Cheney, a representative of Wyoming, Republican, is going to uh, be a part of it. She's wrong. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Noah Rothman, writing over a commentary magazine, also wrong. We've had Noah on the show many times. We will in the future. He is just not correct on this subject. Let me take you through the theory. Let me take you through the thinking so we can then properly address the situation. The thinking goes as such. It was wrong for Republicans to oppose 
a January 6th commission, of course, the riot that took place at the Capitol. It was wrong of them to oppose it. Why? Because if they had gone along with it, it would then be a bipartisan uh, commission. You wouldn't have some of the draconian nonsense that the political left uh, likes to uh, engage. And there are things that we indeed should want to know about what took place. But to be a part of it, to vote yes, means that you could have more control over its wildest impulses. This was the exact theory of, I believe it was Congressman Trey Hollingsworth of the Indiana 9th District, who he said so on this program, because he voted in favor of it for that idea. I thought that was wrong then, and I believe that it's wrong now. If you want to make the argument that President Trump Former President Trump is all over the place regarding the election, that he's done himself a great disservice, that he's done the country a great disservice, that he's done Republicans a great disservice. I have no issue with that at all. If you want to make the argument that the president was wrong not to have the National Guard sent in immediately, I will agree with you. If you want to know what happened in the three hours from when the National Guard was requested and then uh, things were sent, so do I. And I'm one of the people who believes Donald Trump said, oh, look, they're, they're, they're voting against me. They're not serious. Okay, they can deal with this. He was wrong. Did he incite an insurrection? Of course not. It's a laughable construct, and the members of Congress, never mind any American people who believe he did, are wrong. Notice I'm not giving a room here for interpretation that you can have a different theory. A different theory would be anything outside of insurrection. You think his words incited a riot. I think it's acceptable to think that. But I can argue that a lot of people's words will incite riots. You have members of Congress, progressives, who absolutely took the side of rioters in Portland and in Seattle and in Minneapolis. And without question, in my view, uh, engaged them and gave them cover. If we will not discuss incitement in these cases, I will not discuss it at the Capitol because the rhetoric was indeed the same. And I am not one who believes that what happened at the Capitol is worse than what happened in the streets of Minneapolis. Absolutely not. And no one can answer the question of these officers who were inviting people in. There's video of people being invited into the Capitol. What are you supposed to think? I have opposed the idea of a commission because the idea of a commission is laughable. Do an investigation. Investigations happen all the time. I can't start one. I can't stop one. I don't get worked up by them. Do an investigation. Feel free. A commission is utilized as a political tool against enemies. I wish it wasn't the case, but it is. Noah Rothman also goes on to state that somehow January 6th, is a serious subject in America. And I believe that he is off base. He cites a a poll from the morning consult. Republican voters largely want to move on from January 6th. The rest of the country doesn't. The rest of the country is very focused on January 6th and are, are, sh- are shaken to their core, shook, as the kids would say, and unable to move forward until they have a commission? I reject the premise wholeheartedly.
It would be an argument of worthiness to say Republicans need to at least recognize that this was an issue, that we shouldn't have riots at the Capitol. And to deny it is foolhardy. I would agree with such a thing. I would never agree to a commission. Because the commission would not have been something that was bipartisan and valuable. It would have been codifying the idea that Trump was guilty and now we're going to find out how. And it would take away from the larger conversation, the one that is not only more rational but is more needed, about rhetoric used in society and whether or not we have created an agitated populace looking for any spark to engage and build a flame upon that's a heavier conversation and to think that a commission would somehow bring us a bit of peace is to engage in the naivete that your opposition thinks like you do I want to know what happened. I want to know why uh, there were not more security measures in place. I want to know why there were issues with getting uh, uh, intelligence data to the, either the sergeant at arms or the, or the speaker of the house. I want to know about the delays. I want to understand what police officers, uh, Capitol Police, were thinking at the moment. Of course I do. I'm, I'm a rational person. I don't want what happened at the Capitol happening at the Capitol. I don't want Ashley Babbitt in the Capitol in those, uh, under that situation, and I don't want her shot. And I will tell you, I, I will never lie to you, I had to come around on that. I had to take a look at a little more video. I had to take a look at a little more of the, of the situation. And what I have come to is, for a society that says cops are guilty all the time, and we don't even know the name of the officer involved in the shooting of Ashley Babbitt, that's something else. And if you say to me that the officer involved in the shooting of Ashley Babbitt felt more a threat than any officer on the streets of Minneapolis, Seattle, or Portland, you and I are going to have a conversation that involves a lot of laughter from me. And so what I said is, I do not look at Ashley Babbitt as a hero. But I certainly don't think she should have been shot. I don't think a commission comes to that conclusion. I think a commission is utilized for its political purposes. I have much more on this subject involving why would Liz Cheney be a part of such a thing? I'll, I'll get to that in a part two. If not today, don't worry. I'll get to it. This is Tony Katz today. No, 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 no. You answer questions when we ask them. You're not in charge of anything. Why in the world is Speaker Pelosi getting this kind of love from the media apparatchik? <laughs> Let's talk about Ilhan Omar's anti-Semitism. And by the way, I got to tell you, 
I missed something in my last conversation about her. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Parlor, Instagram, Twitter, Tony Katz. Go to TonyKatz.com and get everything. I missed something when she was talking about partners in justice. This was her conversation with Jake Tapper over at CNN. This is the congresswoman from Minnesota. Man, does she really not like Jews? Oh, no, no, no. She's not just opposed to Israeli policies. She doesn't like Jews. And she equated the United States to a terrorist organization. And this was Jake Tapper asking the question. And them in 2019, you said lawmakers uh, support uh, Israel um, because it's, quote, all about the Benjamins, which implies that politicians only support Israel because of money. There was a tweet from uh, 2012 when you said Israel had hypnotized the world. Do you understand why some of your fellow House Democrats, especially Jews, find that language anti-Semitic? I have welcomed any time, you know, my colleagues have asked to have a conversation, to, to learn from them, for them to learn from me. I think it's really important for uh, these members to realize that they haven't been partners in injustice. They haven't been... Uh partners in justice. And I said to myself, I, I said to, to, to you all, I, that's that's such a... What is she even could be even referring to? And then I realized, and doing some more research, she's talking about she's talking about holding Israel as guilty for their existence. The anti-Semitism piece is one that I t absolutely get that people get tired of. Meaning, I have had more than one person say to me, Tony, you only talk about these things because you're Jewish. And I talk about these things because they're happening in the real world. Let me give you an example of something that's happening in the real world. And you tell me if I'm only paying attention to this because I'm Jewish. The National Education Association, the NEA, the largest teachers union in the nation, is going to debate a resolution accusing Israel of ethnic cleansing. Now, if I discuss it, is it just because I'm Jewish? Or is this what Ilhan Omar thinks as being a partner in justice? Her idea of justice, just like Rashida Tlaib, Congresswoman from Michigan, her idea of justice is that Israel doesn't exist. The idea of justice for Hamas and being a partner in justice is that you agree that Israel should be wiped off the map. You agree with Iran that Israel should not exist. And that's not about Israel. That's about Jews. And it's really important that people just get over themselves and get to the heart of the matter. They've got a measure to cut support and funding to Israel. They've got another measure that would promote Palestinian causes at an estimate, estimated cost of $71,500. There are three local unions affiliated with the American Federation of Teachers passing statements in June condemning Israel as an apartheid state. Remember, it was Randy Weingarten, the head of uh, the American Federation of Teachers, who called Jews, you know, just part of the ownership class that needs to be dealt with. This has become standard operating procedure.
Now, you heard me talk about the, 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 the Facebook uh, uh, stuff and the idea of, of extremism. Well, let, let me dig into this, because producer Ari asked, is, is something extremist if it's mainstream? If you believe that Israel shouldn't exist, I would argue that it's extremist. Just because a, a bunch of teachers unions uh, want to call Israel an apartheid state doesn't make it less so. Doesn't make it less so. And let us also look at what education has become. Israel shouldn't exist. Critical race theory is good. And your children are guilty if they happen to be white. Nowhere did I bring up math or science. These are people who willfully, gladly, joyfully teach the 1619 Project, which is a lie. Nicole Hannah-Jones got tenure, by the way, from the University of North Carolina. So if you love your children, don't let them be Tar Heels. She, the, the 1619 Project is a lie. It's meant to engage hate. It has been picked up by school systems and taught, and now she has a tenured position as a professor. You think higher education is worth a good holy damn? Not this rate. Not this way. We take a look at these, these universities where, where they, they want to ensure that they promote free speech. I believe in free speech. But where are the universities that also proactively uphold a standard? If you have a problem with an American flag being up on campus, this isn't the campus for you. Or maybe said differently, you can have all the problem you want with an American flag being on campus. If you touch an American flag, take an American flag or burn an American flag, this is not the campus for you. If you petition to have American flags removed, this is not the campus for you. And if you're somebody who believes that that petition has value, this is not the campus for you. This is about leadership, standing up and letting students know that campuses need to be bastions of free speech and free thought, and you're not allowed to hurt or harm people, shame people, or attack people because of it. You can disagree. No argument in the idea of disagreement, but you cannot willfully endorse as a university and protect this radicalness. Absolutely not. What should be protected and endorsed is the idea of being able to speak freely and to live your life the way you see fit. That should be radically endorsed on college campuses. If a college campus sees its way clear to bringing someone in to teach the 1619 Project, which is known to be a lie and historians call a lie of what value is that college, that university, to the student. Because they are admitting through their, their admissions process, or their hiring process, I should say, that they don't actually value the thing. You as a parent and you as a student should know this, and they should not be one of your choices. They're unserious. But it's a little different when you're dealing with the teachers for your high school and your middle school where your kids go. And they belong to a union that thinks Israel is guilty of ethnic cleansing. Fire every teacher there is. Break that teacher's union in two. Now, how does that happen? Lately, I find myself having to calm myself down 
on how parents need to deal with the administration and the educators. You've already heard me share some of some of the audio. You've heard me share where parents are. Let's be clear. Millions of parents across America don't want this bigotry for their children. And they're speaking out about it. This is my first time visiting, but as a native of Arizona and as a mother of two children who made it successfully through the Chandler School District, I am here to just visit and start to inquire and ask, please, that we start to understand whether or not a product known as critical race theory is necessary in Arizona and in this school district. I am a successful black woman in this state. I'm a Arizona uh, University of Arizona graduate. I'm a native of Arizona who's made success because I wanted to. 30 seconds. I have my children learning the principles I have learned. They made it through the school district with, with success, and they are also now making their way. I don't believe that you need theories that are based on race to identify and limit or to otherwise scorn others for past discussions that we need to start moving forward and teaching our children what we can do to live now today and work together and build this country and continue it forward. She had only 60 seconds there at the school board meeting in Chandler, Arizona, outside of Phoenix. Black woman opposed to critical race theory because what it teaches her children is valueless. This man felt the same way. From Chandler? Thank you. Uh, I'm not part of any group. I just came here because my kids are 8, 10, and 12. And um, we we start to experience things for as far um, as Black History Month. Um, my kids would, be, would come home and they would be afraid. And I, I would always ask them what was going on. And then I start realizing that they were teaching stuff. They taught my kids about slavery and then civil rights and nothing in between. And now you got C, CRT. And I ask you guys not to burden my kids with something that's going to hold them back. 30 seconds. Um, I don't really give them, teach them all the history because I want them to soar as big as they can be without the burden of someone saying, well, you're oppressed or uh, I'm being nice to you is why you're succeeding. I want my kids to just thrive and continue to be kids and grow as much as they possibly can. So I ask you guys, um, just take a look at what you're doing and what, what's the future going to hold for the kids that's experiencing all this right now. Now, I think you should teach full history, but here's someone else, a black man, who doesn't want a critical race theory taught because it hurts his kids. And then there were white parents who spoke. Parents of across the spectrum opposed to this bigotry. Just because a teacher's union is in favor of critical race theory and anti-racism being taught, it isn't extreme? Of course it's extreme. It is extremist. It's nuts and parents speaking out is good and it is obvious to me not because i'm jewish but because i'm rational that these teachers unions must be broken 
that they believe they are in control of our children and we as parents should just sit by. They believe they have so recreated the world that we have no options. I believe the parents are looking for their options. And one of them is getting back involved. Seeding education to these people? These people are dangerous damn fools. That's over. Now we're in and involved all across the country. All across the nation. And while we're getting involved on critical race theory and anti-racism and the bigotry it teaches children and the hate that it inculcates, how about the fact that these teacher unions, just like Ilhan Omar, are Jew haters? And maybe that's another reason not to put our trust in these unions and what is their view of best for our kids. I'm Tony Katz. This Independence Day, drink well, smoke well, eat well, do all the things. Unplug for a day, I beg of you. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. It's important. It, it, yeah, right? The, the, the price of, of freedom is uh, unyielding vigilance. I'm paraphrasing there. Doesn't mean you can't take a day off. It's not, what, it's not what it means. So I, I had come out with my list. I shared it uh, earlier. My list of cigars uh, for uh, Independence Day. And I, and I went Liberty-themed. Right? The CAO America. You can get the Landmark. You can get the Potomac, which is this barber pole kind of, of, of wrapper. It's, so it's a, it's a Connecticut broadleaf mixed with a Connecticut shade. So it's a darker wrapper and a lighter wrapper. It's very, very, it, lighter wrappers don't, don't mean less flavor. It means different flavor. That's don't don't ever think otherwise. A Connecticut shade wrapper will still give you lovely, lovely flavor. A Connecticut broadleaf hit you with that spice. It's uh, terrific. So it's this barber pole, and then you can find that for maybe eight dollars a stick, eight dollars a cigar. Good way to celebrate uh, Independence Day. Then you can go with the Camacho Liberty Series, the twenty twenty one, which I found excellent. I I was a very big fan. No, not everything in the Camacho line is 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 my kind of cigar, uh, but the, the I thought the Liberty 2021 was excellent. We actually reviewed it on my cigar and bourbon show, Eat, Drink, Smoke, and thought it was just absolutely uh, a, a terrific, uh, it, deep. It had that that bit of spice that you would expect, um, a nice wood flavor to it. And then there was the American from uh, J.C. Newman. It was my first real experience with the American. Uh, I did this, I just smoked it just the other day. And I thought it was fantastic. Just a fantastic cigar. And both the the Liberty uh, series and uh, the American will get you $20 a cigar. I think, you know, you don't have to spend that. I think there are a lot of things that you can go get and it really depends on, 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 on weather. What's cool about the American is that it's made all in the United States. That cigar is a completely USA cigar. And when you say, hey, Tony, I've seen the price as low as 16, we're talking about different sizes. I don't mean the Robusto size, that four and a half inch. I'm talking about uh, more of that, uh, I think it's six by 54, six inch cigar with a 54 ring gauge. And then as as for drinks, I mean, it's, it's Independence Day. It's beer. 
which I would I would go with something you know craft from from where you live. If you're doing bourbon again, I I really do focus on the 1792. That's uh, the the year Kentucky became a state. It's how they launched the the bourbon festival in Kentucky year after year. It's always done with 1792. I think it's a great way to to start. Also, if you're in Indiana, you should find something Indiana grown. Find something Indiana distilled. Yes, bourbon. You know bourbon can come from Indiana, right? You do not have to be from Kentucky to be bourbon. Well, Tony, that's where the good bourbon is. Stop it. Bourbon is a style. Uh, It follows the law and how it's made. You can get good bourbon in a lot of places. And yes, you can make bourbon in Tennessee as well. What was that, Artie? 51% corn and two years in the barrel. Look at you. Look at you, you fancy guy. Two years in the barrel to be called straight bourbon. Charcoal. And four years in the barrel in order not to have to put how long it was in the barrel. There are rules. There are serious rules. It's congressional, people. But call it Independence Day. Remember why we have it. Share that with your kids. Then go have fun and save me a hot dog. Facebook Tony Katz Radio. This is Tony Katz Today. Happy Independence Day, everyone.